Details of a tax court trial on this episode of Tax Justice Warriors. Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I'm your host, William Schmidt, the director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Kansas Legal Services. This week on Tax Justice Warriors, I am focusing on what happened with my recent tax court trial. To begin with, I was virtually covering the calendar call for the Wichita, Kansas tax court session on February 11. And on that date, there wound up being only one petitioner. She had trouble connecting to the Zoom meeting, but on speaking with her, The judge asked her whether she wanted to speak to me, the low-income taxpayer clinic who was available to counsel unrepresented petitioners, and she said yes, so we, the judge gave us a set amount of time, and then we were to come back to the court session, and I spoke with the petitioner and was only able to get part of the information about her case during that period. So when I came back to speak to Judge Book, then the judge, he got information from both myself and IRS counsel. And so he decided that we would not have a trial that day, that he would retain jurisdiction, but have a conference call on February 23rd. So then I was looking at whether to get a power of attorney with the IRS or what would work in order to have access to the court documents. And looking at everything, I realized that I could submit a limited entry of appearance that I would not need to get the petitioner's signature, but I could submit the form so long as I had informed consent from the client. So I called her back that day, got the informed consent, and entered my limited entry of appearance. And I was entering that appearance through February 23rd for the conference call. So once I submitted my limited entry of appearance, I had full access to all of the court documents in the case. I reviewed the documents, and I was not quite sure that the petitioner had a good case. So what the case was about was with regard to whether following the divorce of the petitioner, whether the post-divorce payments she received, whether they should be treated as taxable income or not. So, reviewing the documents, for one thing, Internal Revenue Code Section 71 is regard to the taxation of alimony. And what was at issue is Section 71 parentheses, lowercase b, parentheses, 
numeral 1, parentheses, capital B, that 71B1 looks at the inclusion of taxable alimony in income specifically and walks through that subsection A says that it is considered taxable alimony if it is received by a spouse under a divorce instrument. So what was at issue in section B is if that divorce instrument basically spells out that it is not to be includable in gross income that is sometimes called a non-alimony designation. Now looking at that with case law that there is, for example, in Richardson, in Richardson v. Commissioner and Goldman v. Commissioner that the instrument must contain a clear, explicit, and express direction that the payments are excludable from the payee's income. Well, reading the IRS pretrial memo, I could see where they had explicit statements from the judge regarding that the alimony would be taxable income for the recipient and deductible for the payor, the husband, and where it was explicitly stating the terms of the alimony, that it would be continuing until the death of either the husband or the wife or the remarriage of the wife. So in reviewing those documents, it looked like it was a simple case where it was taxable alimony income and the petitioner should not win. But then later on, I reviewed the documents and discussed with my volunteer assistant, and by putting the documents in chronological order, I could see that the earlier documents were stating that the ultimate goal is the taxable alimony income, but that the parties had different orders regarding setting up alimony where the husband was to pay the tax consequences regarding the taxable alimony income, and if the parties could not cooperate in order to do so, his payments in the meantime would be considered unallocated, non-taxable marital support. And there was documentation I was able to get from the petitioner that she had attempted to contact her ex-husband to come to a resolution of those issues in order to facilitate everything regarding alimony, but it did not happen. So her guidance was to treat the income as non-taxable income that she had been filing tax returns through the years. And in the 2014 tax year, her ex-husband deducted that as alimony payments, and so she had been audited for 2014 to report that as income. So then I was convinced that she had a arguable case. The problem was that part of the guidance from the judge that 
Um, this had been a contentious divorce. It had been costly for the parties with attorney's fees. But part of the trouble is that there were various amendments to the divorce decree, that there was a good amount of paperwork and time spent on different issues in the divorce. And our main document that had evidence regarding the judge stating that it should be non-taxable was in a cover letter for one of the amendments to the divorce. So I thought that we had a legally valid claim to argue in a tax court trial. I still did not think that it was a guaranteed win. I thought perhaps the judge could be convinced either way based on my or the IRS arguments, but I did think it was worth going forward. So in the conference call, we set the trial date that the judge had to include the trial in part in the week of his Hartford, Connecticut trial session, that he gave a deadline for the last of our exhibits to be submitted, and for my pre-trial memorandum. I realized that I needed to submit something regarding my limited entry of appearance, so I contacted Judge Book's trial clerk and found out that I needed to submit a notice of completion before I could submit my regular entry of appearance, but I took care of that paperwork, and I worked on my pretrial memorandum, filled out the arguments to the case, and it was roughly six pages long that I wanted to cite two documents that were submitted as exhibits, and we were not going to be submitting briefs on the case, so I wanted to make my arguments there, and I submitted four documents as exhibits, or four pages, excuse me, and those were an email from my client and two letters from my client's attorney at the time that they were trying to contact her ex-husband or her ex-husband's counsel with resolution to the case. Those were submitted to the IRS regarding a stipulation for exhibits that the IRS counsel objected to the documents with hearsay and relevance objections, and we prepared for trial that I made sure I had the documents ready, but I prepared my testimony questions for my client, and I worked with her some because on the phone that she had different times of venting about her problems with her ex-husband and the divorce trial, and so with counseling regarding how to go through her testimony, she was able to make her statements and not be complaining about the divorce and different issues related to that, that we kept a focus on on the issues at trial regarding the classification of the 
marital payments and the related documents in the divorce that I was able to enter the exhibits into evidence over the IRS counsel's objections. And there were periods where in Judge Book's questioning that I thought he might rule in our favor. One of those was that I gave my closing argument, and then when IRS counsel was giving his closing argument that Judge Book was asking questions, and some of the questions I thought aligned with my view of the case, so I thought it went well, and he told us that he was going to give his bench opinion the next morning. So evidently he spent the day writing his decision as he entered it into the record. And from my understanding of reading tax court designated orders, that he started with the conclusion, went through the facts and the background, applied the facts to the law and gave the conclusion. But as he went along, I realized that we had won the case. And so I was quite happy for my client. And it had been roughly six or so years since I had done a trial. So I was quite pleased that I still have trial skills to use. And this was my first tax court case that I took to trial, that generally I have settled those cases, but I was quite pleased with the good results that as of this moment, I do not have the written decision, but I will try to include it in the notes for this episode. But overall, I thought that some key tips were certainly keeping organized, understanding what documents need to be filed with the tax court, meeting those deadlines, understanding the law, that looking at the issues, it really did seem in the case law that it is fact-specific for the specific divorce on when an alimony amount would be taxable. And so I believed that we could prove that in our case and carried forward. But also, Judge Book, I believe he has said in conference presentations, but he did say it in our case that he had read the pretrial memorandums before we had our trial. So I do believe it is worth putting in the extra time on the pretrial memorandum to make your arguments for your case. And so I, I do think it was worth it and am quite pleased with the successful result. Again, I hope this was educational for you, and thank you for tuning in to Tax Justice Warriors. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, 
or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.